0: John has been writing about the whole time and that is uh, one a defense of the faith in what true doctrine is what true Christianity is but on the other side of that what comes with that is a true personal assurance of salvation this is something that every believer should have but this is I would say um, this is one of the things that many believers that I know struggle with the most there are so many countless believers who struggle with assurance of salvation, but we are told in the scripture that we do have a no-so salvation. It's not just a cliche, it's not just a, a little quip for uh, preachers to say. It is the truth that when the Lord saves us, He saves us, not based upon our goodness, not based upon us keeping our goodness or having any sort of righteousness or merit on our own, and, and even the fact that we are saved and then our sanctification, whether we are saved and we stumble, we fall a lot, or we struggle with continued sin and things, we, we continue to have these battles, this is not to say that we then lose our salvation, but rather we have to understand what we're going to see today in the next probably week or so, is that what the Lord has done for us fills us with love and fills us with assurance, not when we look to ourself or to our own circumstances or to our own good works or emotions or feelings, but rather when we look to the cross. When we see that when Jesus cries on the cross, it is finished, that means it is finished. When Jesus cries on the cross, it is finished. It does not mean it is finished until they mess up again, or it's finished until they make that same mistake or go back to uh, their same old sin again. No, it means that it is finished once and for all. Our position in Christ does not change. However, what does change at times is our fellowship with Him. And that fellowship changes uh, based upon if we're walking in the Spirit or not, or being obedient to His Word, and those sorts of things, and, and uh, we should always and con- uh, consistently uh, um, d- desire fellowship with the Lord. Is there anything sweeter than fellowship with the Lord? Of course not. But I believe that assurance, at its root, is probably based upon the the either having the lack of assurance for a believer is based on having fellowship with God. The closer you walk with the Lord, you feel pretty assured, don't you, right? It would be like, it would be like uh, for to give you an example about this, if you were to have a child swimming in a, or, you know, let's go with something that everyone knows for sure, right? I don't know if all y'all know how to, everybody here know how to ride a bike or rode a bike before? All right, if not, you're going to learn, okay? It's easy, just like riding a bike, <laughs> all right? When you're riding a bike, before you even, get on anything else, before you take off by yourself and you're riding around the neighborhood and all that stuff and flying down these hills here in Hillsville, what, what you do is you get a big wheel first, right? You get the little tricycle, and once you graduate up, you get then a, a bicycle with training wheels, right? And that thing, unless your dad puts it together, can hardly tip over, right? And you start going, and things are good, but then the training wheels come off, and then what happens? Mom or dad gets behind you, and goes along with you as you keep your balance and then slowly but surely begins to let go. Now, you feel as that child learning how to ride that bicycle, very assured when you're on your big wheel, right? Even very assured when you're in your little red wagon, right? You feel very assured when you are on your new bicycle that has training wheels. But then you're a little less assured when the training wheels come off, even though mom and dad says, I- I've got you, right? You're like, I don't know, right? You're a little wobbly, a little shaky. You, you haven't done this before. Then you're even less assured, when you start going, and they say, all right, I'm not holding on anymore, right? And you're careening down the hill, right, 30 miles an hour, flame shooting. No, you're going, and, and then what happens normally the first couple times of riding without the training wheels and without mom or dad holding on to you, what happens? Dunk, right? You fall over, sometimes at high speed, sometimes just sitting still, because you're so used to training wheels holding you up or mom and dad holding you up. And, and you sort of have to wait a while to build up this confidence that you are riding around, right? Now, here with the Christian walk, we have to understand that the closer we are to mom or dad here, the closer we all are to our heavenly father, the closer we are to our walk with the Lord, we absolutely do have that assurance, All right. What often happens, though, is many of us, Before we're ready to take training wheels off, we decide we're just going to take off, right? And we might not say we don't need the Lord, but we live our life as if we don't, right? I know what this is like, uh, and I'm sure you do as well. We get in our mind. We want to do things on our own. We think we know the way. We want to do it in our own strength. I can do it. I can handle it. I can bear it. And what happens is we go, clunk, right? But we need to hold on to the Lord. We need to understand that He is still yet holding on to us even though it may not feel at times that his training wheels are, all, are on there or that his hands are on our shoulders and, and we're riding by ourselves, we could still yet know that God is with us. Now, this morning I want to begin by reading this, this passage, and we're going to focus in today on, on verse number 18. It says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And He that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him, And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Let's look back at verse 18. Today we're going to be looking at the loving heart. First of all, he begins the phrase, my little children. How sweet this is of John. And he's used a phrase similar. He said, brethren, he said, my little children, he's my dear children, my dear ones, all all these sorts of things throughout this letter. Because he's writing not just from a, a heart that is trying to fend off the wolves, but he's writing from a pastoral heart that is trying to encourage the sheep. And so here, as Thatcher writes, he says, After blasting the Antichrist, John suddenly shifts to a more pastoral tone to encourage his children, which is the word technion, those who pass the test of love. John is ultimately writing to encourage and equip the followers of Christ to not only combat the outward spiritual threats, but from the inward inward ones as well. I have here the greatest threat to a believer, to a believer in general, is not is not outward, but it is inward. We often think that our greatest enemy at times is, is certainly the devil. Of course, right? He's seeking whom he may devour. He's a, a thief to come and to steal, kill, and, and destroy. We often think that one another could be our biggest dangers. And there's many times that we think the world is our biggest danger. But I believe that our biggest speed bump or a uh, roadblock in our spiritual walk is the one that we look at in the mirror every day. Right? It is our own flesh. It is our own lust. It is our own sinful nature. It is our own pride. It is our own failings. It is our own issues. And, and these things are not issues that happen because of the outward circumstances, but because of an inward condition, right? It is still a, a battle. Though we are saved, though we know Christ, though we are in Christ, there is still a continued battle with the flesh. If there's anyone today who would say, I've never sinned since I got saved, baloney. You have, right? And if you have not this morning, then wait around. Stay for the next service. You'll probably sin at some point today, right? If not, talk to me afterwards. We'll, we'll make sure. right? It's going to happen. We're going to sin. We're going to have battles because it is still yet a, a war. And this battle begins inwardly. And the inward battles, perhaps some of the worst or with our mind, and with our heart. They begin in our mind before they trickle down into the heart. Doubt becomes disbelief, which becomes discouragement, which becomes disappointment, depression, all of these things. It begins, though, with the right mind and the right thinking. If my mind views everything like Eeyore, then I'm not going to be stable, am I? But if my mind views everything like like Tigger... (laughs) Probably not going to be that stable either, right? We can think about this, though. You can put it in all sorts of ways. But the way that you have your mindset will determine the way your heart believes and will determine where your feet go, what your hands do, where your eyes look, and how your whole body either works, thrives, and lives, or sits like a bump on a log and says, woe is me. And within the church of God, unfortunately, in John's day and in our day, we have a a whole lot of both. And, And granted, you would say things happen in life. We're not always happy. Absolutely understand that. But yet we're still commanded and still told that we can still have joy in the midst of sorrow. That we can still have joy and assurance and peace that surpasses all understanding. Right. We can't comprehend it because it is of the Lord. We must face these inward battles of our mind, and of our heart long before we deal with anything else. So here, as he's writing this, he says, Then let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. True love here. right? This sounds like a sort of Disney story or some sort of romantic comedy here. What is true love, but it's not. This is showing us from Scripture what real love looks like. Real love, first of all and foremost, is not just some sort of tingly or emotions or butterflies in your stomach. Okay, right. That could be a whole list of things that could be heartburn for all, you know. Think about this. If we base real love just on how we feel at any given time, most of us would say that daily we don't have real love. Right? A real love does not begin with just emotions, right? Emotions certainly come from real love, but real love is much more than words and feelings. John tells the believers that the danger that we can have in misunderstanding and misapplying love. This is a great danger in John's day, but certainly in ours, right? The word love gets thrown around so flippantly. No one knows what it means. No one knows what it looks like. No one knows how it should be demonstrated or shown, right? You just think, you hear we, you know, sort of puppy dog love, right? The, it's like the two teenagers sharing the milkshake. I love you. I love you more. I love you more, right? No, you hang up. No, you hang up, right? Is that, certainly there are some folks who maybe have gone through that stage in a relationship and have ended up with real love and a long marriage. Praise God for that. But the relationship doesn't stay like that forever. That's what we would call this sort of puppy dog love. Not yet understanding what it means to sacrifice. Not yet understanding what it means to demonstrate and to show love more, by the way, than just Valentine's Day or anniversary with flowers and and chocolate and saying, well, see, I do love you because I got you flowers on the two days a year that I'm supposed to, right? Love is much more than this. And by the way, it goes both ways. Love is much more than just saying, I love you. To those who know what real love is, you know this, you understand this, you've seen this, you've experienced it. He says, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but then indeed in action. Right? Indeed in, in truth. To bring this all together. Love cannot be just in word only. Let me ask you this. Would you say it would be love for someone in a, in a marriage who one spouse stays gone, drinks, comes home, beats his wife, and wakes up the next morning and gives her breakfast and says, you know, I, I do love you. It's not love, right? Matter of fact, John just addressed it a chapter before. He said that, that's love like Cain had for his brother. It's actually hate. It's actually a self-love. It's not real. How about if you take away even the abuse and you have someone that just says, I love you, right? But there's no emotion. There's a nice monotone in the I love you, right? You can really feel the love, can't you? There's never uh, any sort of affection. There's never any sort of effort. There's never sort of any sacrifice. Just the play button of I love you. That's it. Not much love. If there's anything that we are missing in today's society, it's certainly love, isn't it? Now, there is certainly something that we do have as far as love in society and it a self-love. We are willing to sacrifice to make sure that we have what we want and that we do what we want to do, that we have the things that please us. But real love does more than just speaking outwardly. And love without sacrifice is not love. I often put love, if we're to define it, love is sacrifice and action. Right? You can tell me you love me, but do more than that. Show me you love me. Show the love. Here, we must see that love must be spoken and shown. It is not to be shown, though, if you had someone who does all these things and buys you things, they can still buy you all these things and dote you with all sorts of what the world would call love and still not have a real love for you. What they have is a, a big wallet and bank account and they can buy you things, but you cannot buy someone's love. At least you should not be able to. You cannot buy and give things and say, well, that must be enough because one, you cannot just say I love you and have it be real love, but two, you cannot just Buy things, and call it love either. We see that there is this balance, and as John puts it, the balance is in indeed and in truth. Here, it, the contextual lessons of, of love and hate show us a lot here. As Stott writes, he says it may be helpful to summarize the teaching in this passage about hatred and love. Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. Here, let's look back at this passage in first John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Or rather, in fact, we can back up to the previous passage, verse number eleven. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. He then says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth, his, brothers, uh, seeth uh, his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Here he deals with what real love is, and I believe that love is certainly, it's going to be seen in, in chapter 4 especially and defined. But look at verse number 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. Now, certainly it would be enough if God opened up the heavens and said, I love you, right? We go, okay, thank you, right? we love you back, right? It's God. We could certainly take him at his word, but God does more with his love. He doesn't just open up the heavens and declare, I love you because I've made you, but instead he has his son, Jesus Christ, sent to this world and, and goes and would demonstrate his love. Not just by doing the the miracles of compassion and mercy that he does to all those that he comes in contact with from from casting out demons and healing the blind and the lame and and the leper. But what he then does ultimately to show true love is not just those things. Rather, The greatest experience, the greatest outpouring, the greatest demonstration of the love of God is found on the cruel cross. It is found there at Calvary It is found at this place in between two thieves as He's naked and being mocked and ridiculed as He has already been beaten and and flogged to such a point that He is viewed as if He's just a piece of meat on a cross. The, The humanity has been stripped away to a degree. He has been there now in darkness bearing the weight and the wrath of sin, literally becoming sin. All the while He has been hated and ridiculed and mocked literally since His birth. Can anything good come from where He came from? Nothing. No one can. Literally, even from His birth, people seeking to destroy His life. And there, in that moment on Calvary, He dies on that cross and does cry out, It is finished. And he demonstrates the love of God. As Romans 5.8 tells us, in one of my favorite chapters, certainly in Romans, but definitely in in Scripture, Romans 5 tells us, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love is shown and given to sinners. Sinners here did not deserve God's love. Sinners here did not earn God's love. There was nothing good about them. They're sinners. We're wicked. We're vile. Yet God demonstrates and gives His love anyways. Let me ask you, when you got married, you married a perfect person, didn't you? right, that was quick, right? Got the answer we were looking for there, okay. When you got married, you might have thought it was the perfect day, perfect marriage, perfect all this. At least it was for that moment in time, wasn't it? But you did know that you loved that person. Little did you know standing on that altar that what that meant is that you were going to have to love and continue to love and continue to choose to love an imperfect person who was at times going to mess up, make mistakes, have bad days, not give all they should, not sacrifice the same way as you, but vice versa. They too would be loving an imperfect sinner who at times would have bad days and do the same thing to them. But you still love it, don't you? Right? <laughs> Just do that, okay? Right? Nudge them, move their head. Yes, you still love. You still demonstrate. You still speak, and you still show that love, even though you know that they might not be so loving every single day that they should, even though that they will make mistakes. That while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We're going to talk about our demonstration of love. God loves the unlovable. And this is why marriage is such a beautiful picture of of us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He loves the unlovable and He continues to choose to love the unlovable. So you know what that gives my heart assurance of? Because I have seen and known the love of God because... Uh, not of anything lovable about me, but because I look to the cross and I see His love poured out and demonstrated to the world, that tells me is that then I have assurance that even on my bad days that God still loves me. And He doesn't have to just tell me every day, but if I need to be told every day, all I have to do is open up His Word, see a sunrise or a sunset, look to the cross Look around, feel the, the blood pump through my veins, and know that God loves me because if not, would I be able to experience and to know all these things and to have this within our heart? Love lays down our life for others the same way that God has laid down his life for us, for sinners. Here we continue on love, indeed, and, and truth. This phrase is important here. It is, it is twofold, and it brings together, really, I believe, exactly what John is trying to show here. He doesn't just stop and say, love is not, he says, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. But then he tells us how then to love. So, wives, you want to know how to love your husbands, despite how awful and atrocious they can be sometimes? <laughs> here we go. Husbands, you want to love your wives, despite how awful and atrocious they can be sometimes, too? Except y'all's, not mine. He says, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Here's one commentator puts it, Cruz, he says, they must not just talk about love, but practice it. And In this context, that means using their own resources to relieve the needs of others. To love in truth here means to love truly as distinct from loving in word only. It is synonymous with loving in action in this context. And then uh, Stott writes, Essentially, love is neither sentiment nor talk, but deeds. If our love is to be genuine in truth, it will inevitably be positive and constructive with actions. Deed and truth. And to those who are married, or even to those who are unmarried, when we look at love and relationships we have, whether we love the church, whether we love our family, whether we love one another as we're called to do as believers, we have to see that this means a couple of things that I decrease, Christ increase and that we humbly lay down our lives lovingly for others. That we lovingly give ourselves away to others. We lovingly sacrifice. We lovingly speak truth. We speak the truth then in love. All of these things. He then says uh, what Thatcher here then writes this statement parallels John 4:24 where Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that true worshipers must approach the Father in spirit and in truth. And truth has a doctrinal orientation, referring to a correct view of Jesus. Just as real worship depends on a proper recognition of Jesus' identity, genuine Christian ethics must also be based on John's orthodox witness. This verse epitomizes John's belief that all aspects of Christian life are grounded in Christology. If you want to love your spouse better, or if you want to love one another better, then love Christ better. If you want to have a deeper love for your spouse who sins against you and is just a mess up at times. If you want to love your brother and sister in Christ who maybe has done you wrong, and you want to be able to have that love again, love Christ more. Love Christ better. The only way to do that is to simply humble ourselves and to continue to find ourselves at at Calvary's hill looking to the cross and looking at the outpouring of the love of God upon our life even though we were yet sinners, that Christ would die for us, that the the Holy One would die for the unholy, that the righteous would die for the unrighteous, that this God who is far above us and does not need us would condescend and love us and, and die for us to bring us to Himself to redeem a people, that He might demonstrate His love in the world to the world, and that His love on us might then allow us to love each other and to love this world as John has already commanded and shown all throughout this letter so far. The way we may love must keep Christ as the purpose, Christ in our practice. In your marriage, the purpose of your marriage and your love or, or, or whatever it might be, must be Jesus. The practice of your daily life, your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ must not be, well, because I'm supposed to, or because they're treating me right or good, but because of Jesus. If we keep Jesus center, and if we keep Jesus and our focus on Him and our love towards Him abounding and afreshed and renewed daily as it should be, as each morning we Humbly look to Him. It will certainly make, not just your marriages, it will make this church much stronger, much more loving. I've heard of many a churches who have been known to, to have great Bible studies and to be uh, having good preaching or good music and all these things, but don't sit in somebody's seat. Right? I've heard of many a churches who have had, oh man, they got a great kids club, but... They'll treat you. You better watch out. They'll stab you in the back. You see, those things should never be. And we laugh and we kind of (laughs) joke because we've all heard those things too. But I would wonder, have those things ever been said about individuals here or or a church here? Someone that you personally know? Heaven help us that would never be said of us. If anything would be said of us, may it be that we certainly love God and that we love people. Because we must do both. You will not love people unless you love the Lord. Love here in these two parts, shown in truth and in deed. First of all, love as truth. God is love. We know this because His Word tells us this. His Word is as well truth, and Jesus Himself is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father, but through Him. He is the demonstration, the expression of the love of God. And because God is love, love is demonstrated as sacrifice action. and action. Then love is not just truth and spoken in word and known in the mind, but it is demonstrated indeed. God does not just say, I love you, but God demonstrates his love towards you. Therefore, we must demonstrate. So we find that it is not just enough to say, I love you with our mind or our mouths, but that we must express a love from our heart and with our actions. But if our mind is not right, our heart will not have true love in it. We'll just have frilly uh, emotions. You see the early Christians showed and knew had a desire for this sort of love. We'll talk about that here in a little bit with the next service, but there is a, to a degree that we must return back to a place where, like John is preaching and trying to get them to understand, he says, look, you're called to love one another. Not love each other like Cain did. Not to love each other just because there's something lovable about them or usable about them. Love that's about what you can get out of someone is not love. Right? That's self-service. Even abuse to a degree. But love sacrifices... Love loves just for the sake of loving. We need to return back to the same place. Unfortunately, somewhere along the way, we have had big heads full of lots of Bible studies. We have had busy hands, even calloused hands from much work getting accomplished. But what it has led to is calloused hearts. and Hearts that are full of pride. Of Look how much I know and look how much I do. But a heart that says, look how much I know in my mind and look how much I do with my hands is a heart that does not truly know the love of Christ. And a church that is able to say the same thing is not truly following the Lord. A believer that would have the same thing in their heart is not truly following the Lord. Jesus wrote about this. In Revelation chapter 2, He said, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand, who walketh in the midst of seven candle, golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are the apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Those are all great things. Yet the letter stops there. This is wonderful. This is marvelous. Right, He says, you have the right mind, you've got the right doctrine, and you've even accomplished much with your hands. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlesticks out of this place, except thou repent. Y'all know what that phrase means? One day I might preach through these. But to remove a candlestick literally is the idea of removing the light. He's saying, you might exist, but you will accomplish nothing. You might sing, but there will be no worship. There will be no glory. There will be no glorification. There will be nothing. I I will remove you. There are many churches who have been removed because they left their first love. There have been many marriages destroyed because they left their first love. There have been many relationships because they left the first things and the first things is to love Christ, to love each other. As John has said over and over in this chapter that the first thing that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. May it be said of every individual, and especially this pastor up here in this church, that we have a love for the Lord and that we express our love for the Lord through real, genuine, sacrificial love For one another, let us pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we could gather, that we could study your word, and that we might know you more, Lord. God, I pray that you would stir within us. God, stir within my own heart, Lord, to have more of a loving heart. Our hearts often grow so cold and so calloused, so prideful. God, I pray that you would crush that in us, even today in this moment, Lord. Help us to love you more, to love you better, so that we might do the same for one another and for this world that so desperately needs to see the love of Christ. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts now for worship. God, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And that we might give everything to you today, Lord, that you might receive the glory and the honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls. Any guys that want to come pray, we've got a prayer room over here. And any ladies that want to pray, they've got a ladies' prayer room right over here.